everyone, and welcome to episode 254 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Zephron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. What's going on this week, Richard? Hey, Seth. New new standard 3.0 Mythic Championship happened. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've had a string of Mythic Championships, and we're going to talk about That's one of our big topics for the cast, but I think this was my favorite of our, uh, like, monthly Mythic Championships we've had lately. But before we get into all that, we got another co-host in Krim. How's it going today, Krim? Oh, it goes well. Uh, excited, because, I mean, we got to see, like, like, like Richard had man- mentioned, a brand new, like, meta again. Again, yes. Uh, I mean, I guess that's the nice thing about Throne of Eldraine Standard, is as much as having constant bannings can be frustrating, it does mean we, like get a new metagame every month so uh, you gotta look on the bright side <laughs> that at least we have a constantly changing metagame thanks to the bad eggs uh, but that's our main topic for today we're gonna focus on mythic championship stuff which means throne of eldering standard 3.0 also some like worlds and mpl stuff since this was the last mythic championship of the year it determined a lot of stuff for next year like big important things and then of course answer some fish mail so it might be a slightly shorter than normal cast not really a whole lot happened outside of uh, standard and mythic championship stuff this week, but that is our plan for today. So let's jump right into it. Start talking about substandard. Uh, Richard, what actually happened uh, deck-wise at mythic championship number seven this weekend? All right, so mythic championship seven happened. It's our third standard. So gone is Field of the Dead. Gone is Oko, Once Upon a Time, and Veil of Summer. And now what we had this weekend was basically Jeskai Fires, uh, various cat decks, and then various flash decks. So the meta shifted in that direction. There were basically no aggro decks at the tournament. I think there was only one Embercleave deck the entire tournament. And at the end of the day, Korvold, the Fakers King, won the whole tournament. <laughs> Piotr Glukowski won the tournament without losing a match. He actually queued into day two directly from his MPL performance. Uh, kind of just saw him going nuts with Cat Oven, Trail of, Clum- uh, Trail of Crumbs, and Corvold, and uh, some interesting lines. So he won the whole tournament with Cat Oven, but no aggro the entire weekend. Basically, Jeskai Fires and all the decks to beat Jeskai Fires, and then Cat decks going over the top with Casualties of War. There were eight, and there were, don't forget the control decks, they were also there. They were. They, they were there. They, they were. They, were, they, they showed up. Ben Stark, <laughs> ben Stark did quite fine. He had an Azorius control deck. That, you know, you can count flash decks as kind of controlly. They're not. I mean, they're not control decks. They're kind of. I, I mean, I kind of think of them is like at least control adjacent yeah. I, I guess technically they're probably tempo decks but they do play a lot of counter spells which sometimes make them feel like control decks when you play against them yep and there's alexander haynes wild esper control deck that has a singleton hero precinct one and like a bunch of other singletons <laughs> like disfi- one duress one disfigure one d spark <laughs> one mortify one time wipe there's he a lot wasn't of able things. to acquire the wild cards necessary. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, though, like, if if you look at the tournament, it felt pretty diverse to me. Like, the top eight was diverse, but really the metagame in general felt, at least by 
the standards of standard, where usually, like, a good standard, you're going to have, like, maybe three real top-tier decks going for, like, the rock-paper-scissors-type thing, and then a few other, like, competitive decks, I feel like at least the standard is way, way healthier than Throne of Eldraine Standard or Throne of Eldraine Standard 2.0. Like, instead of watching two decks or then one deck all weekend, like we saw the last couple of months, we actually saw, like, a bunch of different decks doing a bunch of different, like, cool, powerful things, so... I feel like standard, maybe it's in a healthy place now. What do you think? Like, is this tournament a sign that standard is finally fixed? Now that we've gotten all these bannings out of the way, are we good until Wizards uh, print some really busted stuff in Theros and we got to ban that? Yeah, I, I, I think I think standard is actually in a great spot right now. We have a, a we have multiple decks and they're all viable. Uh, I, I think one of the cooler things is that a breakout card, I mean, is Casualties of War. So, I mean, like, it's just awesome. Like, I think this this format is now looking better. I think it's all right. I think it is balanced. I think it is better than our previous metagames. But a metagame where everyone's playing Cat Oven <laughs> is a bad metagame, in my opinion. It's funny that Piotr is a KCI player. And basically, <laughs> Cat Oven is like KCI, right? Like, that. there was a match in the final... Not the finals. Uh, in the top eight bracket with him versus Seth Manfield both down to like one minute on clock because you're sitting there looping cats and like pressing all these buttons <laughs> you're probably dead there's a corval that's like going from nine to ten you're like i'm probably dead but maybe i don't know i gotta sit there and see if they whiff and they keep going and going and going and like 20 minutes later you're dead basically eggs i mean so the deck is slow it's like nexus of fate right like no it's a fine deck <laughs> no it's just so slow I don't. I don't even think cat is bad at all. Like, I, I, yeah, I get it. It, it can be a it's little. It's beatable, but it's just slow, right? Like, I mean, that, I mean, that's. I almost use that to my advantage. I think like almost everybody I play on the ladder that's on cat. I'm always there's always like a six minute difference between our times, and like I'm just like I. Most of the time, I just they time out and I just sit there. Just like, that that okay. is not an effective way to utilize an hour of my time. Like, Crib is a control player. He is used to sitting yeah. there doing nothing for an hour and gaining, like, Ooh. one rank. Yeah. Hey, hey, it's the quality of the win, all right? It's the quality of the win, not the quantity. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is balanced. I think the deck is beautiful. It's fine. It's just miserable to play against. And the way Arena makes you have to click the food token to, like, sack it, it just takes forever to actually execute. It's like playing Splinter Twin on Moto, and your opponent doesn't get see you. got to sit there and make, like, 20 tokens. You're like, oh, please, this is taking forever. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it is a deck that is way more annoying play-wise uh, in digital than it is in paper. Like, a, a lot of the things that are so slow and clunky uh, on Arena would be fairly fast, I think, to execute in paper, so I don't know. Like, that is a bit of a drawback, I guess, that it's so slow, but really, after how bad Standard has been, it's hard for me to complain too much about where we're at right now. Do I think this is, like, the greatest Standard of all time or anything? No, it's definitely not that, but I think we're at a point where we have, like, a functional and reasonably balanced Standard where every good deck has, theoretically, something else that beats it. Like, if you look at the top tier of the metagame, and I we broke down the metagame numbers, and you can't go too deep on individual matchups because some of the sample sizes are small, but if you really dig into it, it seems like basically a top tier of standard. You have Jeskai Fires. Jeskai Fires loses to the Flash decks. Uh, so people play Flash to beat 
the fires decks, but then the the cat decks, uh, the Jun Sacrifice deck especially beats up on the Flash decks, but then the Fires deck beats up on the Jun Sacrifice deck. So you have that like rock paper scissors thing going on at the top of the meta, and then you have like Crim's control deck, which can win some matchups now and then. <laughs> it sometimes wins. you have the adventure decks that occasionally win a match now and then. I think really the biggest disappointment of the weekend was probably Golgari decks. I think overall they were like not very good. Golgari Adventures or Golgari Sacrifice were just like pretty not that exciting as far as its win percentage at least. So I think for me that's kind of like the top tier of the metagame. I think my bigger concern long term is I'm definitely not convinced after reading that play design article where they're like, yeah, this is the power level we're going for. I'm definitely not convinced that we won't be right back into like counting 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 standards once Theros releases. Because if you look at the best decks, they are all mostly built around one really pushed Throne of Eldering card, like Fires of Invention decks. It's based around Fires of Invention. Cat Oven decks built around Cat and Oven. Uh, Adventure decks built around Edgewall Innkeeper. So if we have like (laughs) Theros at a a similar level of pushness is Eldorain. What are the odds that we aren't back to like, oh, we got to ban like a couple of rounds of Theros cards now in a couple of months? I mean, sure. As long as it, uh, I, I think the odds are, are, you know, they're moderately high, but the thing is, you know, we get to, we get more powerful standards. I'm okay with that. As long as it just like a rock, paper, scissor format. Sure. Powerful standard. That's great. Just n- as long as it's not like one deck, that's all that I care about. If, and if we have to ban a, a few things along the way, I think that's that's cool. I hope they get it right off the bat. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Even though this was theoretically standard 3.0, I had like zero excitement watching this tournament. And I, I actually didn't watch the whole thing. I just watched parts of day one, parts of day two, and then I watched the complete top eight because it was like totally stacked. But even though these are quote unquote new decks, it's the same cards I've been seeing for like months, right? It's like, oh yes, it is Nissa. Hydroid Crisis. Yes, it's a Fires of Invention. So instead of dropping Golos, it drops some Cavaliers now, right? It's the, kind of the same cards. And like the one new card we saw the entire weekend was uh, Pain Bacon. I don't even know its real name. Forerunners, Maze, <laughs> and, and... And Rays. And Rays, Forerunners. <laughs> pain Bacon? What? Like, <laughs> well, you didn't watch coverage. They were calling it Pain Bacon the entire weekend. Uh, but basically, Creator Hoof Behemoth in Manguchi's ramp deck. That was like the one new card we saw uh, the entire weekend, and everyone was excited to see it happen. But then the rest of the weekend was just cards we've seen like for the last couple months. So it wasn't as exciting well, to see someone brazen borrower, you know, a, a tapped Paradise Druid or whatever, right? No, no, no. There were some cool breakout cards, or I mean, not breakout, but like, there were some. Well, Casualties of War was just like really popular. It's an old card, but a sweet card, so it's cool to see it get played. Like, because like Piotr's list has four of them in the main, but what about Deathless Knight, huh? Out of the sideboard, that's pretty. Deck cool. was that from? Um, Deathless Knight. Yeah. Oh, I've never actually. Did he actually use it ever? I don't think I ever see him. I mean, that card. It's pretty sweet. It's it's <laughs> it's the the quad Golgari hybrid manas, and it's got haste four too. Whenever you gain life for the first time each turn, return Deathless Knight from your graveyard to your hand. I've definitely played against that yeah. on Arena before, like as a as sideboard tech for like grindy matchups. Uh, yeah. I've definitely run into people doing that, but it is. I don't think we have seen it on like the Mythic Championship stage. I think. I think you bring up an interesting point, Richard. We have 
way more mythic championships now and we're gonna have even more in uh 2020 where they switch to these players tour events where like each pro tour is actually like three different pro tours that happen across like a couple of weeks near each other do you think that uh that is kind of like dampened enthusiasm for pro like I remember a few years ago, we got three or four pro tours a year and I would like mark them on my calendar and I would cancel everything I had to do that weekend. And I would watch every single one from start to finish. Now, when we have like a mythic championship a month, I feel like I can't do that anymore. Like I still turn it on and catch them if I can, but it it doesn't feel like the same level of event to me as it used to when there were less of them when we have so many of them now it's not something where i like cancel my entire life for a weekend and just you know know that i'm just doing that for the weekend do you think that that is that plays into it at all what you were talking about where it's maybe not as exciting as it is at some points in the past i actually think they're going the wrong direction with this so yes we have high level events happening all the time now but now more than ever we don't need them like, if I wanted to watch high-level magic, on any given night, I can tune into a random MPL player's Twitch you, stream. You can tune in and watch me, Richard. Yeah, I can watch <laughs> Sad. I can watch Olive and the Asian Avenger showing me the oh, pinnacle yeah. there it is. of magic play. Like, there are so many YouTube channels. There's so many Twitch channels. There's so many tournaments happening that, you know, we don't need all of this high-level play, right? Like, what we need is, like, a gigantic tournament when a new set releases like the first one where everyone puts all their cards in and plays you know but i don't really care about standard like two months after release you know with the mythic championship like i i don't appreciate high level play right like it's fine and all but it's not the same as like oh my god they're playing insert random jank card which i thought was garbage during spoiler season but is like the best card ever right like so i think they should actually go back to the once per set release model and then have all the other content in the community fill the gap between them. Like, we don't need a Mythic Championship every month. Like, the numbers were kind of pretty bad for this Mythic Championship. And, you know, holidays, third standard, uh, probably all played into it, right? I I think, I'm actually, I think they're growing in a direction that I kind of enjoy. It's like, I don't watch every football game that's on, but it's nice to know that I could just, like, turn it on whenever on a Sunday and then just leave it on in the background so it's nice it's also like when you watch like i don't know like there's there's league events or there's some kind of major esports event going on right always it's nice to know that i could just turn it on tune in i won't like be as attentive as i was before where like okay this is the one mythic championship uh for the next like three months so i will watch all of it right but it is nice to know that i could just watch like just turn it on and leave it on in the background i think And this brings me to kind of something else I've been pondering this weekend, which is uh, how much value do you put on these tournaments compared to pro tours from the past? Like, I think what you were describing, Krim, reminds me of like how GP coverage was a year or two ago, where every weekend you knew like something would be odd. Sometimes you can't control the format. Sometimes you like it more than others. Some tournaments are more exciting, but you knew every weekend you could like turn on and have it playing in the background. Are pro tours like devalued because there are so many of them. Like, I was thinking about this specifically because uh, I've been able to vote for the Hall of Fame the last few years, and one of the big metrics is Pro Tour Top 8s or Mythic Championship Top 8s. Do you think that a this last Mythic Championship, uh, making the Top 8 of that in a 
67 player tournament where half the people are just invited because they are in the MPL and the other half are qualifiers slash uh, random invitees. Like, does that deserve as much weight when I'm voting for the Hall of Fame as someone who won a 500 person or 400 person pro tour where it's all people who qualified a couple of years ago? You know, I I would say that I I still think that they hold weight because you're still playing with the 32 best people and like you know like sure some of it's invite but it's it like I almost feel like now it's a little more like the production makes it more entertaining to me I guess I I I like this I I like this like the direction it's going in but I do think that some things need to get fixed but I do think that the entertainment value is there uh, I do I, think the production has greatly improved for this year for uh, especially for arena mythic championships. I 100% agree with you on that. Like yeah, like the the production on it makes it like yeah, pretty entertaining to watch. I I don't know, maybe if like GPs and all that had this much production, I'd also be as entertained, but like I I only could watch I usually didn't watch GPs until like the final day and usually top 8. Yeah, I think the the format makes it much easier to watch. Uh but I don't know how you would weigh like modern era pro tours because yes, they're different. There are more of them, but the level of play is much higher. You know, you would probably say for you to win a couple pro tours in 2019 is probably more impressive than it was in, you know, 2011 or something, right? Like the level of play is just so much higher nowadays. And if you look at some of the players that played yesterday, their road to the top eight was not easy. Like they basically just played like all Hall of Famers and like top twenty players like the entire way. So I don't think it's any easier, but there's just more of them. So yeah, so like, more a player today can probably get more top eights. Like they have more shots at a top eight than like a player, uh, you know, five ten years ago. And then doubly so if you are United States based as opposed to the rest of the world, right? Where you basically have even less opportunity. Also, worlds now and like the the addition of like like dropping out of the MPL going to the rivals league like with all of that it does make it more entertaining to me so I do like that yeah that was a uh, something else that came out of this weekend is since this was the last mythic championship of the year we actually got to find out all that stuff. We learned who was in the MPL next year. We learned most of who's in the Rivals League. I think there's four players that uh that will be added to it that we don't know yet. But otherwise, we know the rest of uh, the Rivals League. And we got to find out who is uh, going to be playing in Worlds, which they announced is February in Hawaii. Although, I don't think we know anything more than that yet. If it's going to be, like, arena-based or paper-based, standard, pioneer, modern. Like, we, we don't really know formats for Worlds yet as far as... Uh, as far as I've heard. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my goodness. That would <laughs> that would be something. It's historic, you know that though. But, no, wait, are you serious? No, they didn't I'm just kidding. I'm just that, kidding. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, thank goodness. <laughs> so so anyway, uh yeah, so what do you what do you think of uh of all these like qualifier things? Any thoughts on our world's competitors 2020 MPL slash rivals league stuff. I think that's really cool. I mean, so that, that the stakes we were asking for, uh, the stakes that we were talking about in like the earlier uh, podcasts, they added it, right? Like, I, I think that's like, it's pretty cool. It's like heartbreaking to see some people leave the MPL, but it's like also really sweet to like see people like want, like, you know, how they're tweeting out. Yeah. They want to get back also to see that some of them are like, they just got by 
on the skin of their teeth, all this, like, you know what I mean? Like, they, like they just barely locked themselves back into the MPL. Uh, and, and it's cool to see newer players rise up and like Andre Strasky, you know, like, like they're, they're like, and like the feel, the feel good story of Chris Kavardic, like, you know what I mean? Like this, this stuff is, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it is also the largest magic tournament, right? It's a million dollars with 16 players at Worlds. So your your EV is pretty good. So uh, there is very strong reason to, to make it to Worlds. A million dollars over 16 players. And I don't know. I'm looking at the list of names. They all seem pretty good. It looks pretty stacked. So it should be a pretty good tournament. Yeah, it seems like it. it Worlds should definitely be an interesting tournament. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what MPL means. Like, we, we've gotten more information on, like, how you qualify and stuff. But we don't actually know, like, what the MPL is going to do next year. Because they've said there's not going to be MPL streams anymore. And that streaming is not part of the MPL contract. So, so we don't really know what sort of content there's going to be around the Rivals League or the MPL next year. So that's something we're still uh, waiting to find out. But the MPL looks stacked, uh, of course. The uh, Rivals League looks interesting, and I think I like the kind of the European soccer or football model of uh, like relegation. I think that adds a lot of excitement to the organized play system, and expanding out to more players is definitely a good thing because that was one of the big criticisms of the original MPL is it just like concentrated the the wealth in such a small number of hands. So expanding out to like fifty some players now with the Rivals League, I think is is definitely going to be a good thing for the next year. What do you think? I think there's a couple of people. People who parlayed invites into into uh, invitations to like rivals. I don't think anyone got into the MPL. What do you think about that? I think like uh, Kai, I think is one. Numa, I think might also be someone who like parlayed that into the rivals. Do you think that's uh, uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, I like uh, I I like Kenji. I like Kai. So them in the rivals league means getting to see more of them like doing like high level of play stuff i'm, I'm okay with that yeah <laughs> sounds good i don't know there's just so many names here right like i was like oh should we list these names off but there's like a million of them and i i think i'm, I'm curious what the average person sees when they see see this list like the average entrenched player because we've been you know, watching every single Mythic Championship, covering MPL news. So whenever I see any of these names, I'm like, yeah, I recognize this name. This guy's pretty good. Or, you know, she's pretty good. Or I know them, whatever, right? But, like, what is the star power of these people? And can they carry the league? Like, do people find it weird that LSV is in Rivals and not the main league? Or Kai Bude? Like, you know, it's strange that they're in Rivals and not the, the main league. So what does the average person see when they see these lists? Like, do are, are these household names? Like... You know, some people like Reed Duke, you know, he's in MPL. Everyone knows that. Uh, so watching them flip-flop between the two leagues is interesting. And I, I'm just curious what, like, a normal well, person who doesn't follow, like, every single news update sees when they see see these lists. There's some cool narratives there, though, right? Like, example, Hall of Famers working their way, you know, like, trying to get back in the game, working their way back to the top, right? Uh, and, and, like, I think... But they're also, like, active Hall of Famers, like LSV, yeah. right? Who has like two Hall of Fame careers? Right? Correct. But like, but like the thing here is like LSV just you know missed out on the the like whatever the MPL year stuff like that, right? And mm-hmm. so now he is just working his way back in, and on top of that, he's got two Hall of Fame careers, pretty much. So it, it just it there's a cool narrative you could spin with LSV in the Rivals League. It makes the Rivals League like 
not like like with with some star power right like like you had mentioned and like kenji you know everybody loves kenji so it's cool to see I'd, you know everybody would love to see him climb try to work his way into the mpl so there, there's just a lot of players that it's pretty cool to follow but specifically you know you you giving having these players gives the rivals league some star power which is important yeah it'll be interesting to see who actually can make it out of the rivals league obviously the mpl is a list of really really uh like very top level players and then that rivals league though really that's another very strong list of players and i think it's going to be is almost as competitive as MPL, just like looking at the names and like the quality of players. So it's almost like we have like two MPLs going, uh, it, from my perspective. And I guess I'm like very entrenched in like knowing pro players, watching tournaments, keeping track of that stuff. But I think really like if, uh, the people in the MPL are like A plus talent wise, the Rivals League is like a solid A. Like it's not really that far behind. So I think we're going to see some really epic battles, uh, for the top slots of the Rivals League to get into the MPL uh, in the next season after this one, which should be very interesting. Anyway, I think that uh, before we uh, move on to anything else, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Audible, and it's a time of year when everyone is traveling and running around getting thoughtful gifts for people they care about, and it might be time to think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the best time to do it with a special offer of 53% off your first three months. And if you'd like to see for yourself what all the discussion has been about, The War of the Spark Forsaken novel is now available. And now for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95. That's more than half off the regular price. You can choose one audiobook and two Audible Originals. Visit audible.com slash mtggoldfish or text mtggoldfish to 500-500. That's audible.com slash mtggoldfish or text mtggoldfish to 500-500. So thank you to Audible for supporting the show. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, MPL stuff, world stuff, or really uh, anything, I guess, at this point? I mean, congrats to canister uh like yeah like he just dominated the tournament so just yeah congrats to canister all right question for you guys is emoting not excessively you know i feel like he didn't expand the most but he he emoted a lot is that bad mannered or no nope when your opponent starts off the match (laughs) by going into the options and disabling emotes Is that bad or no? Should wizards have a policy? Like, emotes are fine, emotes are not fine. Because, you know, in a lot of, like, pro esports, you're not allowed to type in chat, right? You're just not allowed. They don't show it. It's so boring. Uh, Should we do the same thing? Or is the emoting perfectly acceptable? Do you like Uh, wrestling? Do you like wrestling? Do you like that? Are we wrestling? (laughs) Yeah, because the thing here is, like... I don't know. I think that that's that's great. As a matter of fact, I think they should remove the option to mute. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm going in there. No. That's not even no. a hot take or anything. That that's like that that is legitimately how I feel about that. Just because I don't know, it's it's more entertaining. It makes for a great like like value when you when you watch these events and like especially when you watch Canister as someone who like played Canister at the Invitational where we just emoted each other back and forth all game long like that that was just a blast right and like it's fun and I don't know the people that emote like mute the emotes come on come on <laughs> I, I find it funny when Canister does it uh, just like 
his like trolly attitude towards it. But if I ran into someone doing that to me at Arena, I would be instantly muting them because it would drive me insane. So I think because the option exists to mute emotes, it's probably fine. But I think, I don't know. I think that would be a weird thing to make the game be about if you couldn't mute them because like there might actually be some value to that, like tilting your opponent. Like I know it tilts me when people like good game early and then the game goes on for a few more turns. Like that drives me more insane than like anything. So, oh, so that, yeah, I think since you mute them, it's okay, but that helps me focus <laughs> because I'm like, Oh, it's on. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't mind the emoting. I think it adds character and flair. Like we remember him because of the emotes, but at the same time, I feel like wizards should have a policy. Either you're allowed to emote or you're not allowed to mute. Uh, because it looks super awkward on stream when someone goes into the menu and like, you know, disables emotes and then comes back out, right? That just is a weird stream experience. So they should just choose one or the other, like all in or none at all. So I, I agree, all in. Just remove the option to mute permanently and, and, and just not honor, just take that option out of the yeah. out of the game and just like, I don't know, limit it to where it's like three every one of your turns or or five every one of your turns. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll make five it a lot a better. Turn. Your yeah. go, pause, 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 yeah. your go, pause, pause, pause. So see, Richard, you just explained the process, like you, you, you've got it planned out. See, like it's it's a good thing it's fun i don't know i i'm i'm probably i guess in the minority here but maybe because coming from like a like playing a bunch of other card games too like it, it makes it so it's i don't know i i can actually have a chuckle and yeah sometimes it might help make you like salt off because you know they get super lucky and then they emote you and it's like eh whatever uh i feel think uh, unless you got any other topics it might be it might be fish mail time a little bit shorter than normal than this week's cast but let's uh let's do some fish mail all right if you have questions you can send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air kydeo meters can you guys talk about shipping and handling fees for secret layer as much more than the actual product for people outside of the U.S. In Japan, shipping was $25 for a $30 product. Oh, geez. that's That actually sounds uh, reasonable compared to some that I saw. I think uh, I saw a couple to Europe, and I guess this also includes, like, VAT or whatever, but it was, like, $70, I think, you had to pay on top of the product to actually get the product. A uh, little bit ridiculous. I know, like... Tomer sent me a message and was like, hey, can I ship, uh, I think he wanted the, the commander one, the five color legend one. I can I caved. ship that to you? And then you can like ship that to me for like $5 because it would be ridiculously expensive for me to get it in Canada. So I don't know. It feels, I don't know. I feel like wizards heard everyone complaining about stuff not shipping out the, uh, side the United States and we're like, well, like, I know how we can fix this. Like, we'll technically do it, but we're going to charge you so much that either, like, we win either way. Either no one will buy it from outside, uh, North America because it's so expensive. Or if you do buy it, we're going to like massively profit off you because we're gouging you with shipping. Yeah. We're, we're selling like literally a handful of cards. I don't know why it has to come in a giant box. So I actually bought the thing for Tomer. <laughs> we, we concluded that I'll buy it, I'll take the packaging and throw it all away, put the three cards in a top loader and send it to him, <laughs> right? Like, this is not a store display, right? Like, why don't we just send the cards in that way or at least have the option? Like, if you want the box, you can pay $70 shipping internationally or you can pay like 10 bucks shipping to get the cards in a, uh, you know, a top loader. But... 
given that they're singles, like shipping shouldn't be this expensive. Uh, shipping internationally, right? Uh, Brooke Joel, I've been wanting to start a MTG podcast with my friends. Any tips slash suggestions where to post and how to advertise? Ooh. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a good question. Where where is our podcast actually posted, Richard? Like you handle all that end of stuff. Like wh- uh, what sites are we on or uh, hosting sites? Yeah, so usually, so there are services you can pay that their job is to push it out, but usually I just do it with the main websites like uh, the iTunes store, the Google Play store, Spotify, uh, but every day there's a new podcast service. And then once in a while someone's like, hey, why isn't your podcast on insert random podcast service I never knew existed? And then I go <laughs> add it there. <laughs> but if you want the official way, there are, there are actually services. They're pretty expensive, but like you just add it to that and then they their job is to add it to every single one. But if you're just starting out, like just the main ones are, are probably sufficient. Uh, Seb831, hi guys, love the content. I was wondering, where is Teamer Elemental's deck in standard since it looks promising before the release of Eldraine? Any particular reason why it is not popular in the current meta? I, I was going to say, I haven't played with or against Teamer Elemental's hardly at all since rotation, but it came up on my Twitter over the weekend. Someone was uh, asking about this, and a few people chimed in that they had been playing the deck, and they thought that it had a really poor matchup against Cat Oven decks. Like, that was just, like, a really bad matchup. So, uh, I don't know what your reason was, but that's what I, what people on Twitter were saying when it came up over the weekend. Yeah. Um, it's, it's matchups, like, because everything just got more powerful than, than that, right? Like, like elementals just isn't enough. Like, yes, you get your risen reef stuff, which is crazy to say because risen reef is absolutely bonkers. But, um, like, yeah, like just like the cat deck doesn't care. It just go, like it just chump blocks your cavalier and then sacks it and then just keeps going off. Like, it's like a lot of your like threat, your power level comes from like cavalier clocking in for five, getting stuff back, but you can kind of just easily beat that. And since you're in black and like the Golgari Jun sacrifice cat decks and stuff like that, you can just kill all the planeswalkers quite easily. Uh, and, and, and yeah, like, it's just its power level isn't up there enough with all the things going on in standard right now. I I also think that uh it kind of got hurt by not benefiting from Throne of Eldraine. Like if you look at what the optimal elemental deck would be today, it's basically the same as after M20 release because there just like wasn't anything uh for that deck for the most part at all in Throne of Eldraine. So while everything else got this huge boost of power from Throne of Eldraine, elementals is just kind of like stuck at the same level it was before Throne of Eldraine released. I mean, isn't Minguchi's deck an elemental deck? Basically, so Leaf there King are, Druid, <laughs> Risen Reef, Thorn of Cavaliers. Elementals. But I, I'm imagining this is like Teamer, Omnath, like kind of the full-on elemental tribal strategy is what I'm imagining the person's talking yeah. about. But you're right. There are decks that like have kind of like sub-packages of elementals, like Risen Reef wrap packages uh, with Cavalier and Leaf King Druid or whatever. Yeah, it, it, I, I assume you're talking about like the Teamer version. So, yeah. Like, as I mean, like just playing Omnath isn't enough gotta play mazes forerunner and what is the card <laughs> and raise forerunners <laughs> and I, raise forerunners that's how you get over the cats right you just play your elementals and then you play that thing and then you go 
I bet we'll get more cards for this deck towards like the next core set. Like I'm not expecting much from Theros, but based on what we saw with last core set, how we got like all the vampire stuff and new dinosaur stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if like towards rotation we get some more elementals to maybe give the deck another shot at like competing before it rotates out. All right. Uh, at McRange. Hey, Saffron Olive. I remember you always complaining about the Buffalo Bills, and now they're in contention for playoffs, <laughs> even without the Patriots losing. What did you do? Are the Bills good? <laughs> yeah, the Bills are, are actually good. <laughs> you probably should have uh, asked this last week, right after they crushed the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, instead of today, after they just got like beaten down and gained like 100 yards or something against Baltimore. <laughs> so uh, I, I still don't know. They're better than they have been since I was like a little kid. I'll give them that for sure. Are they good? I'm still not convinced. I think they're on the right track uh, in better than they have been. Still, I don't know. I don't have a... Maybe it's just because I've been a Bills fan my whole life and I'm used to them always being bad that I <laughs> that I just can't wrap my head around the possibility that they might be good. But I'm still Wait, not ready to say right they're now? actually good. I, they're uh, definitely they're, positive. I think they're like what? They're nine and, nine and four right now. Yeah. That's pretty good. You're complaining about nine and four. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I, I'm a Broncos fan, and they're like, I'm just happy to get a win. <laughs> so, because like, yeah, I thought like, they're like in contention at like 500 or something, but nine and four is like they've. I think they basically locked up a playoff spot. Yeah, I think they'd have to like lose out and then have a bunch of weird stuff happen for them to miss the playoffs. So I think they they are definitely good at this point. Are we also, ready for another music to the City Ravens? <laughs> like losing the Ravens, that's like the Ravens are really good. Yeah, I mean everyone no, loses the Ravens. And it was, like, kind of close. They only technically lost by a touchdown, which is not not that bad, I guess. All right, now you've cursed them? <laughs> <laughs> now now it's all downhill from here? They're going to lose out in yep. a bunch of weird situations are going to happen. <laughs> uh, that, that, was my, uh, that, that was my first football experience, uh, watching the Buffalo Bills lose to the Tennessee Titans with, like, the four laterals or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that was uh, the last time the Bills made the playoffs, I think, since, yeah. like, I don't know, for, like, 20 years or something ridiculous. Uh, the Fairy MTG. Do you think they should make an Orberg for each color, or do you think the red one would make Titan Shift too good? Well, yeah, like, the red one would be disgusting. Mm. I think the red one would be disgusting. Um, Urborg, I, you know what? I think they should only just be the one Urborg. Wait, why, why would the red one change Mountains. Anything? I'm confused. I yeah, guess but, making everything mountains for Valica. Yeah, but I mean, you already powerful. play just all mountains, so like, does it? But then matter? you could, you wouldn't have to play mountains, so. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So you can make like five C Valakid or something weird uh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, potentially. I think, honestly, as a Magic Online player, I hate Urborg. Like, I I like it as a paper <laughs> card, but boy, is that an annoying card to play with in digital because you have to manually click everything like a million times. So I'm gonna say no, just for that reason. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it is. I don't even like Orberg. It doesn't really do much. I mean, it has some use cases, but adding it to each color, I don't know that it would. You could play the island one and then play choke. (laughs) Wait, we have. Oh, wait a minute. Everything is islands, choke everyone out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Actually, maybe I do want an island version of Orberg now. That sounds sweet. (laughs) Huh. Uh, at Julian Dale one seventy four, do you think they will start having playmats on Arena, almost like a watermark? I think they. I would not be surprised if it happened eventually. They yeah. love their cosmetics, and that seems like another another thing they could monetize. It doesn't actually increase the cost of the game. So I say, uh, I say, go for it. The more cosmetics and the more money Wizards can make that 
isn't increasing the cost to, to players, uh, I think that's like, I'm pretty fine with all that. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah, agreed. I actually feel like they're not going to do it because it's not a play mat, right? It's an arena shared by both players. So either if you buy the entire arena, then only you can see it, right? Like, how does your opponent see it? Like, I, I don't know how they would split it. Whoever because... whoever buys the more expensive one, yeah, <laughs> they get, it's their arena that shows up. Like, I think their fox is their answer to play mats or whatever, right? The the dragon or whatever pet thing, but. <laughs> That dragon uh, I, I want to go like remember way back on like Moto three or something where you could like add your own playmat by like just mucking around with the files. Uh, <laughs> like I want to go back to that. Oh yeah, you also used to be able to like edit the art on your cards yep. if you wanted to. <laughs> like people would edit packs for like original Power Nine or whatever, so they can play with the original art as opposed to the new Moto art. <laughs> I don't think you do that anymore. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, oh crap! Now what? How would you cost this, and would you enjoy using it? Instant, all players sacrifice their non-land permanents, then they lose two life for each land they control. <laughs> what? So it's uh, like a planar cleansing, and then they just get <laughs> hit <laughs> for each land they, they own? Non-land, though, right? Huh? You no, sack no. all your non-lands, and then yeah, take and two then, damage for each land. Yeah, and it's also oh, an instant. So it's got like a nice little price of progress <laughs> attached to it, I guess. <laughs> I would be thinking like eight-ish. Like 15 mana? <laughs> eight would be too cheap, I think. Yeah, eight o- is only way two, too it's, cheap That's for basically that. planar cleansing plus price of progress, but for everything. <laughs> I mean, it's also like symmetrical though, right? So you're also taking the damage and you're also losing all your stuff. Ah, oh, but you can Zern Orb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, may- maybe eight, maybe ten, I guess. I, legitimately, I think it has to be like ten plus. Actually, but see, if it's 10 plus, you just die, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I know, actually, this is actually a pretty interesting question, because you need the lands to cast this thing, and then you're going to take two for each land. Yeah. So. Yeah, it might just be, like, a card that draws the game if it costs 10. Like, or how, how about this? I'll, I'll solve it. It'll cost, like, one and then, like, 14 delve. <laughs> no, do not add delve to that. Do not add delve to that. I think nine mana, perfectly enough to wear. <laughs> so you go to two if yeah. you're at 20. You can yeah. just barely survive. <laughs> it should be nine mana. And then your opponent like shocks when it's on the stack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bipad7, do you guys believe the arena economy has led to a less creative and therefore less diverse standard? For example, why waste wild cards on an unknown when you can just play the most winning deck? Uh... I don't think it impacts tournament level standard because uh, spikes are going to play whatever they think is going to make them win anyway. But I do think that it has an impact like on the ladder if you're playing like kind of the mid ranks on the ladder because it's. I think there are definitely players in at that level that would want to play like more brews and spicy decks, but because of how the economy is set up, it's just not really practical to invest in those cards unless you randomly open them. Yeah, I feel like they need to add a kind of rental system, like somehow temporarily have a card for a weekend <laughs> so you can uh, test out whatever jank brew you're trying to test. And then if you like it, you can actually commit and craft the deck. Otherwise, you know, you just pay some nominal amount uh, because it's really punishing. Like I wanted to play some historic decks. And I'm like, I'm not going to invest these random wild cards because I have no idea if this deck is good or not. I have no idea if I like historic or not. So I'm just not going to play those decks and I'll play decks with cards I already have. So it's affected me, uh, but yeah, I don't know how they would get around it because if you add rentals, then maybe no one ever crafts anything and then they don't they don't get the gold. 
I think that was one of the cool things. Like uh, one of like Legends of Runeterra allows you to get temporary wild cards, but there's a limit to how many you can get a week. Mm. And so, like, Interesting. you could probably do something like that, uh, and then just make it so that okay, cool. Well, I and like it's it's like I think it lasts for like 24 hours or 48 hours, and then it disappears. Yeah, I like it. Or they can just limit it by number of games. Like, you get to play five matches with these cards, so you can't just, like, in 24 hours, sit down and play all the standard in 23 hours and be done with it. Uh, 11 Vicious. With reserveless cards taking a small dive in price, I've been thinking about selling most of my modern and legacy decks to pick up some cards for my vintage cube. I don't want to sell my collection, but not sure when prices will be this low again. Thoughts? I never... like. I've been burned too many times on when it comes to like selling cards just because I don't know the market goes down a little bit and then you know of course then after I do it it spikes up like by time like four times that so <laughs> I I'm in the camp of just keep your cards unless you really need it yeah it's it's really hard it's a hard time to figure out what the future looks like as far as like the economy for older formats with like Pioneer and all like the new digital clients like with Arena and Magic Online. I tend to think that reserveless cards and, like, those older cards are going to always have value just based on, like, their scarcity and collectability. So it's hard for me to imagine they're going to going to stay down in price forever. But as we've seen with, like, the creation of Pioneer, which all of a sudden all these cards that were valueless are now worth a ton of money, uh, I kind of agree with Krim. Like, uh, I, you, I wish I had held on to more cards rather than selling them off at various points. So it's really hard for me to be like, yeah, you should sell them off because it seems like over the long run, you tend to like just randomly end up making more money if you hold on to your stuff or at least having to spend less money in the long term. Yeah. Like, cause it, like, unless you have a reason and like you need to have all of like the money that from your cards, like immediately, it's just, it's just a better, it's just better to like keep them. Yeah, well, the reason is to buy reserveless cards, right? So they want to sell their modern and legacy cards to pick up reserveless cards while they're cheap. Yeah, but like, and uh, I, mean, I yeah. do think that a, uh, a vintage cube is one of the coolest things you can own in all of Magic, and I would love to have a vintage cube. So I think it's a worthy goal, and. I mean, in that sense, you're not even really, like, selling cards. You're just kind of, like, trading your cards for cards that you want more. So do maybe you... just go for it. Like, what do you get the most enjoyment out of when it comes down to it? I and mean, if you think you're going to enjoy a vintage cube more than a legacy deck, get a vintage cube. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever whatever you want to do, like, if if you, yeah, like, you'll enjoy the vintage cube more, sure. Uh, but, like, if you like playing, I don't know, legacy and you want to go out to events and compete... Or, or you, or modern or something like that. And you might need those cards. I don't know. I've, as I'm just very, I, I'm just very against selling my cards. Even if it is to go into. We should add up the values of our collections and see how much money we've wasted in tiny pieces of cardboard. (laughs) Because I remember when sorting my cards for GP Vegas, I'm like, huh. These cards are pretty expensive. I forgot all about them. <laughs> I was just like leafing through them. Yeah, I forgot which card you were just like, like, I think it was a council's judgment was one of them. You're like, how much is this now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, back on topic. So reserveless, I would actually take a look at things that are commander staples. Like those are probably trending upwards and things that are just like, you know, staples and vintage and legacy, those are kind of trending downwards or not growing as fast. But anything that intersects commander and reserve list, uh, those things are, are going to be expensive. 
Uh, last question. Saw speaks. If you had to live on one plane the rest of your life, which one would it be? Ooh. I already live in in Ice Age, whatever plane that's called. <laughs> that's upstate New York in December. Is uh, that Dominario? Is it Ice Age on Dominario? Oh, probably, probably it is. I, I don't know. I don't read enough of the lore. Uh, I would... Hmm. Jeez, that's a good question. Do you guys know the answer? I guess I gotta okay, think so this. Okay, so not Innistrad. Not Wait, Ixalan. Why oh, not Innistrad? Probably. That was one of the planes I would want to live on. Why well, don't I get murdered by vampires and werewolves out of nowhere? Wait, hold on. I, do we? Do we? Are we just like normal people? Like, like? Oh I'm yeah, you're the, normal. You're like a zero one token. Oh, like, I'm a zero you? one token. Oh, oh hold on. I, <laughs> I think it's it's gotta be it's gotta be like Lorwyn. That's just like a happy goofy plane except for you just hang out with like the goats and you know it, it, would, be, it would be fine ah <laughs> uh, Ravnica Ravnica seems like a civilized place yeah until War of the Spark and all that <laughs> stuff happens <laughs> like a few yeah, years ago maybe you can't, you can't avoid like <laughs> you can't avoid that <laughs> you know what like, maybe I, I would still live on Innistrad <laughs> <laughs> I would still live on Innistrad like I don't know that I, I love that. I love that theme, and even you know what? <laughs> I'll die doing what I love. I guess being spooky and and running from werewolves and and vampires. And plus, you know, maybe I get lucky and I become a vampire or something like that, or a werewolf or a zombie. <laughs> Eldred that, isn't that's bad either. Getting lucky, I <laughs> like turning into a zombie. Like, yeah, okay, maybe not a zombie. I don't, whatever it is, I don't want to be a zombie, right? But because okay, I just realized that, like. They're not doing too much. And I, Wait, what was this argument you had with Vince? Werewolf or vampire? Yeah, I would <laughs> be a werewolf. Which one did you want to be? You want to be a werewolf. Yeah, that would be so much better. Because then I also get to, like, you know, transform. I can be mayor of Averbrook or something. Except that card's green. <laughs> I want a blue one. What? You always get fatal pushed. You can't. <laughs> Look, sometimes, you know, like these... these you human... always get bolted. You don't want that. I, I, I want to be, like, the plant token that no one cares about. They're like, yeah, it's not going <laughs> to hurt anyone. <laughs> Look, I sometimes werewolves just don't like getting pushed over, okay? And they just they're, they're a lot like like cows. You don't want to go cow tipping on a werewolf. <laughs> All right, you can be you can be Snapcaster Mage in Innistrad. How about that? Okay, done. I'm, then I'm super <laughs> down. I'm gonna take my monocle and start like flashing spells back everywhere. Like this is gonna be great. <laughs> like yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It, yeah. it just seems like the most appealing plane because. Maybe I like because I could live the Van Helsing dream. Krim <laughs> <laughs> is getting murdered immediately. He's yeah, I mean, off by Olivia. <laughs> Olivia, he's like, "Hello, Olivia Voldarin." <laughs> like, King, you're dead. <laughs> First two minutes on Innistrad, immediately dead. <laughs> and then you get resurrected by Liliana as a zombie. Look Done. at that! Look at me go! <laughs> Look at me go! Going back up the ladder. All right, that's all our fish mail for this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, you can send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 254 of the Goldfish Podcast. So, Richard Grimm, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Audible for supporting the show. And we'll be back a week from now talking about whatever goes down this week in the world of magic. So, until then, this is the crew signing out. <laughs>